Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story there of life after alcohol since my first day of recovery in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to tell your stories here. And this, my friends, is what I've learned is called an in-betweenisode. I heard that term from one of my favorite podcasters, Joanna Penn of The Creative Pen. If she pops on a little extra uh, episode, she calls it an in-betweenisode, and that's what I'm calling this. I had some kind of cool things to share with you, and I've been waiting way too long to share them because I couldn't find a spot to stick them in. So I thought I would just make a special episode just to do that exact thing. What I have for you is a follow-up message from two of our previous guests. The first one was season six, episode 24, Sarah's story. Uh, Our guest Sarah at the time talked about being three months sober, and I asked her to come back after her one-year soberversary and share what that looked like for her. And so she actually sent in an audio clip, uh, just giving us an update of where she's at. In fact, what's happened since she's been on the show is that she wrote a post on Medium that went viral, and this had uh, a lot of interesting impacts on her recovery. So uh, we'll hear her right away. And after Sarah, we will hear from Renee, also known as the Sober Witch, who was on our program also last year, season six, episode 30. And she sent an update uh, a few months back that I've been saving for you. She recorded it, I do believe, while she was driving to work one day. So you can hear a little bit of car noise in the background, but uh, it's pretty neat to hear what everyone's been up to. So we're going to start off with hearing an update from Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah Nash, and I was on the Bubble Hour last, I want to say last August 2018, a few months after I finally stopped drinking. And I am recording this as an update um, about how my life has changed since I stopped drinking. So right after I was on the Bubble Hour, I wrote a piece on Medium.com that was called The Problem That Comes After Your Drinking Problem. And I wrote it really for myself because some of the things I talked about with Jean stayed with me and I wanted to just elaborate on them for my own benefit. Um, but I also like writing and I had made this decision that I would go public. So I figured I would publish it. Uh, to my surprise, it came to the attention of hip sobriety hero, Holly Whitaker, who 
shared it with her followers on social media. And I think within a week or so, I had received hundreds of positive messages from people all around the world. Um, and I, and I do think that that helped my sobriety just kind of set. And what I mean by that is it's like I had done all the work to learn how to make concrete, gathered all the ingredients, mixed it, poured it to create a strong foundation for myself. But when I got that outpouring of connection from other people who said, oh, my gosh, your story really resonates with mine, um, it just helped the concrete set into place. It helped it cure and harden. And um, I really haven't had any major desire to drink since that time. Um, at the time I was on the bubble hour, I was also struggling with infertility and we were um, told that I couldn't conceive that my eggs were bad, that I was heading into early menopause and that we were looking for egg donors in an egg bank and um, also considering adoption as our only options. I think about four months after I had stopped drinking, um, we just naturally conceived and I expected it was going to be another miscarriage. But lo and behold, you know, we saw the heartbeat and then the heartbeat turned into this little tiny embryo uh, on the ultrasound. And about two weeks ago, uh, sorry, two months ago, I gave birth to um, a baby boy named Rowan James. And uh, Rowan is napping right now. So who knows if my um, update might be interrupted. But uh, Thomas and I, my husband, we really think that my ability to get pregnant was a result of just hormone regulation and physical regulation and emotional regulation that happened after I quit, which was a huge, you know, a huge gift and amazing surprise that came out of that decision. And, um, so for a lot of my sobriety, I had, so it's just like 15 months or something since I stopped, I was pregnant. And what's interesting to me is that, uh, my sobriety was always separate from my pregnancy. And what I mean by that is, you know, it had helped that I stopped before I got pregnant. And even once I was pregnant, when I would think about alcohol and, you know, be aware that I was abstaining, it wasn't because I had a baby inside of me. In fact, in my previous pregnancies that ended in early miscarriages, I did drink a little bit. In fact, I was always at work kind of Googling how much alcohol is safe and trying to find the resources that said it was safe to drink while you're pregnant. And it was just this obsession of like, and this feeling of being um, deprived while I was pregnant. And so none of that, none of that was present during my pregnancy. Um, and I really, I really felt like my sobriety was just getting deeper and I was getting healthier uh, as the months went by. And um, I'm just so glad that that happened. And also, I want to say if you're pregnant and you're struggling to stop drinking, it's still valid and real to stop drinking while you're pregnant, even if your uh, motivation is for the health of your um, developing fetus. So 
okay, so let me keep going. I would like to talk about um, how my relationships have changed. Well, uh, my husband Thomas and I drank through our whole courtship and were drunk at our wedding and drank, you know, for a while after we got married. And he didn't want me to stop drinking. He didn't think I had a problem. He didn't want to lose his drinking buddy. And, you know, I just kept saying, I really, I really need to stop. I really need to stop. This isn't good for me. And finally he said, I think you do need to stop. Uh, I think it's just causing you a lot of anguish. And so please, please just stop. And I did. And what was unexpected, I think, for both of us is that he just naturally started cutting way back on his drinking. He said he wanted to be on my same wavelength and just gradually drank less and less and less um, to the point where I think it's been a couple of months since he's even had a beer. He doesn't really think about it much. Um, He has realized that it just doesn't make him feel good after he drinks. Um, and in general, it's just not worth it to him. And that, you know, that includes us sometimes being around friends who are drinking, family who are drinking, and he just declines. So I was not expecting that. I, when I stopped, I didn't tie my sobriety to his. It had to be a very personal decision that nobody was going to be able to influence uh, me away from. But uh, our marriage has really improved as a result of learning to just be together in life without needing to run away from it. And we joke now days that, you know, we're in the middle of like maybe a boring moment in the evening where we don't know what to watch and we don't really want to read or, We're having a really beautiful moment outside in the evening on the swing or we're looking at our baby or maybe it's a really hard day. And we joke joke with each other sometimes like, oh, wouldn't this be so much better if we'd each had a few strong drinks? And we joke because it just feels so ridiculous from here in a way that, again, I... I really wanted to get to this place in my life, but I didn't think it was actually possible to see it so clearly. Um, So that's, that's been really exciting, you know, to recognize that alcohol was really destroying and deadening me. And it's, and I thought it was enhancing my life. Um, So that's, that's become very clear. I also want to say that I almost never even think about alcohol anymore. Like, it's not part of my evening routine. Like, that 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m. thing just stopped going off after a few months. Um, I pass bars and restaurants in the alcohol aisle, and I, I really don't even see it anymore, usually. Um, there are little moments and little kind of phantom limb pangs every now and then, but they pass so quickly and it's never, it's never like a real question about whether I'm going to drink. Um, so that's changed. Um, 
I would also say my friendship and my social life has changed, uh, but organically. Like I didn't start out quitting and being like, I can't hang out with person X anymore, or I can't go to this place now because I'm sober. Um, what happened was I just, you know, initially just kind of clung to that sobriety for gear life and did whatever I had to do to, to not drink. But as the weeks piled on and I just got more and more clear headed and healthy, um, I just kind of let my natural energy determine what I did, who I saw. And what that meant was there were some social things I turned down because I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want to be around a bunch of people late in the night drinking. My sleep had improved. Um, you know, then I was pregnant and I was just tired, um, which was great because I, you know, I, it did give me permission to just totally listen to my body and, uh, not go do things that usually involved alcohol with people who would be inebriated, but I, I just didn't have the energy for it. Um, so I st stopped seeing some of my friends that I used to get beers with pretty regularly. I stopped seeing them as often. I didn't really need to see them that much ever. It was just that I didn't want to drink alone. Um, and so we would get together for coffee or tea in the morning, but just not as often. And that was fine. Another thing that's happened is I've made some new friends and these people drink. Um, they're not, I don't think they're addicted to it or obsessed with it the way that I was, but they do drink, but we do things that don't involve drinking. Um, for example, like the friendship wasn't formed around alcohol. Uh, one of my friends is from India and she has been teaching me how to cook Indian food and it's just not about alcohol at all. It's about like the joy of cooking and spices and, and embracing a different culture and learning and connecting. Um, and it's just been one of the most delightful surprises for me to form a friendship. Uh, she's a colleague. And so we, we connected at work first and then started connecting outside of work. But just to form a friendship that doesn't involve alcohol in any way, um, even though she does drink wine, it has been lovely. So um, I would also say that Thomas and I have hosted a couple of parties at our home where our friends are drinking alcohol. Thomas has had some alcohol. Um, and that's fine. I think the only thing I notice is that I'm introverted. And so without that alcohol buffer, I can get a little bit overstimulated at parties. But I don't avoid them because of alcohol. And I have been, we don't keep booze in the house um, as a rule, but I have been okay with it being around. It, it doesn't really tempt me like it used to. Um, and last weekend for the first time, I went to a bar for a wedding party and it was a bar I used to love getting beers at on the way home from work. And I didn't even really notice that people were drinking. I just I got some water and then I realized they had kombucha. So I had some of that. And by the time we did the champagne toast, it didn't even occur to me that I wasn't drinking or that everyone else was. It, was, it just was a non-issue. And so I say these things maybe with a casual tone, but I mean, I struggled for so many years to stop and I agonized and I beat myself up and I quit and started and quit and started. I mean, it was just 
probably a decade of being concerned and trying to stop before all of this finally clicked for me. And I, it's not a perfect comparison, but when I was little, I was so scared of the water and swimming that I screamed my way out of swimming lessons. Um, but then, I, of course, I was, you know, a kid and my friends were swimming. They had a pool. So I basically had to teach myself how to get around in the water. And I did that by just kicking off from the side a little bit further every time until I finally could kind of get around in the in the open water without having to return to the safety of the side of the pool. And for me, quitting finally was like was like that time when I finally got it, like all the pieces integrated and I was suddenly able to not like desperately cling to that safety ledge of my addiction. Um and just just navigate life sometimes clumsily. I'm not the best swimmer to this day, but it's like I can get around. Um, and so, so yeah, it's crazy to be sharing all this with you, like as if I'm, I don't know, as if it's kind of easy, which it which it has become easy. And I there's hope. Um, I'll say kind of one last big idea for my update. Um, so after my article about quitting went kind of viral, I did also get some messages from people who I suspect are part of the, you know, got sober in a 12 step model. And they um, they basically said things that were kind of hurtful and mean. And they said stuff like, oh, you must not have really had a problem and how dare you share your story. It's going to hurt real alcoholics. It's going to cause them to relapse and think that they don't need the AA paradigm to stay sober. Um, they told me that I, you know, they couldn't believe that I had a PhD and I was a therapist and that I should be, um, I shouldn't get to do my, my profession because of my, my story. Um, and they also said, Oh, just you wait. I bet you're going to start drinking again soon. And that it gets harder, like good for you, honey, but just you wait, it's going to get harder. The longer you're sober, it's going to get harder to stay away from alcohol. Um, and I, you know, those were not helpful messages, but I was so clear and so familiar with that paradigm that I was able to, to kind of let it roll off of me. But and I also appreciate that for some people, the 12 step model of recovery is so helpful. And even for me, there's some super useful stuff in there. I just didn't embrace it wholesale. Um, and it's normal to be protective and therefore defensive um, of the model that works for us. I mean, if it saves your life, you you know, of course, you might be threatened by by somebody else saying something different. So I, I do get it. Um, but what what I'm concerned with now is that for the most part, I avoid checking in on sober blogs. I don't really need to listen to stuff or read stuff these days. It's just like, it just doesn't occupy my consciousness in the way it used to. But every once in a while I get curious and I'll like pop over to a 
a publication or an article by someone I used to follow who was influential in my own recovery paradigm. And I'm concerned that even in the um, kind of non-AA recovery world, there seems to be these little squabbles around um, what real recovery is or real addiction is, or um, we have this concept called gray area drinking. Um, And I've heard some criticisms of the new kind of sober curious movements on social media or the way that um, mainstream media is covering um, sobriety is like a hip lifestyle these days. And so anyway, in these in these pockets of the Internet, there's also the suggestion that there's like people who have had a real recovery versus those who are just kind of trying it on or maybe weren't as caught up in it, but still would like to stop. And I'm I'm looking forward to the day when our society sees alcohol similar to how we finally came to look at tobacco, which is to say that it doesn't matter if you, you know, smoke a few times a week or you are someone who has emphysema and a tracheotomy and you're smoking out of your tracheotomy. Like it's a dangerous drug. And if you're just that, you know, a few times a week, social smoker or the or the elderly person with the oxygen tank who's still smoking it's all part of the same continuum and if if I love both of those people I want them both to stop equally and I'm just as excited by um, the young person who's only smoking a little quitting as I am you know the the old lady who's who's dying over there smoking because because it's the same drug and it's destructive to our bodies in the same kinds of ways. Um, and so I, I guess I want to say I think that the sober curious movement is good, even if you had kind of a life and death relationship with alcohol. Um, I would really encourage us to think about embracing anyone who is interested in a life without alcohol, whether that means they never get started or they have gotten started and they're somewhere in the trap a little far down or in the, in the very dumps of it. So um, I'll end with, uh, I'll end with kind of a, these days, um, these days I just, have been focusing on uh, looking at my diet and getting more movement in my life, things that I always wanted to do when I was drinking all those years, but just, I could never stay, I could just never stay with it. Um, And so those changes are subtle and doable and not, not overwhelming like they used to be, even with an infant and breastfeeding and getting ready to return back to work. So Um, That's pretty cool. Alcohol just undermined a lot of my previous efforts to take better care of my health. Um, And then this morning, I threw my name into the hat at work to step into a uh, coordinator role at the counseling center um, where I would coordinate alcohol and other drug resources, uh, recovery resources for college students I don't know if I'll get the position. Um, I don't know if I'll accept the position if offered because I'm not entirely sure what it entails. But 
uh, I, I would be open to being in a position where I could present the really the, the recovery buffet that's available today um, and maybe influence some college students who are just experimenting with drinking as a lifestyle, having some problems with it, and are able to um, kind of look at look at a life without alcohol as, a, as an extremely positive thing and something that doesn't make them weird or flawed or any of that, but just makes them uh, human because we're all susceptible to getting addicted to alcohol. Um, please keep trying to stop. It will eventually click. And when it does, it is worth all of the work that you have put into getting there. Feel free to reach out if you want to talk further or need some support. You can um, reach me at, um, you can find me online if you just Google Sarah Nash. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for inviting me to come back on and give a little update of where I am. I am Renee. I did um, my interview with Jean for the Bubble Hour at just about three months sober, and that was back in September, and I have just celebrated one year sober, and I stalked Jean for the opportunity to come back on and just give an update because I'm sure that anyone who has been through um, some time in recovery um, have found, as I did, that really every, you're just like ever-changing, you know, it's, just, it's very fluid, the healing process, and so where I was at three months is so very different from where I am now at just over a year. So I guess, you know, in preparation for this, what I did was I went back and I listened to my episode of the bubble hour, the original, um, talk with Jean. And I just wanted to see really and hear what, what I was sharing at that time. And if you haven't listened to it and you're curious as to what my, you know, mess of the story and life were, um, I think you can just search for that episode. Um, but what I heard was really someone who was just starting to get to know herself for the first time. And I kind of felt sad for her in that she really had no freaking clue as to who she was and how she ended up, um, in this stage of her life, you know, married, two kids, living in the suburbs of Boston, and, you know, shortly before I was on the bubble hour for the first time, you know, drunk, a drunk mom, um, and once I let go of drinking, I really had to look at, it's not just stopping drinking, right, it's so much more, right? You just start to look at your whole life like a grown-up, <laughs> which I was in a drunken stupor for a long time, so, like, I obviously never did that, and so I just heard so much of just getting to know my, starting to get to know myself and figuring out, you know, relationships and motherhood and friendships and all everything. 
And what I've learned in the past nine months, you know, since my first um, chat with Jean, is just the power of really getting to know yourself. And the tools that have helped me so much with that are really, you know, mindfulness, meditation, and yoga. And I know that everyone heals in their own ways, and I totally respect that. For me, the meetings never worked. For me, the thought of AA telling me that it was their way or no way was just not resonating with me personally. Again, if that's your path, great. Um, But for me, those are the things that really helped me to tune in to who I am, to why I'm here, why I'm living this life, all of those things, you know, I have like this awakened sense of self and I really feel so much more confident in who I am and how I step into my life every day. And I could not have done any of that deep soul diving if alcohol was still in my life. Um, Habitual drinking is really dangerous because it keeps us small and it keeps us kind of operating at this level where we're, it's like very low vibe when you habitually drink because you're just, you're not able to tune into so much that's going on around you. And, you know, I really feel like the world needs us right now and that it's no accident that all of these people are starting to quote unquote, wake up to get sober, to get in touch with who they are and why they're here because they, I mean, we're living in a very scary world right now. And I think we're all being called to step up and to to help in whatever ways that we feel the most passionate about. And so with all of that said, you know, I noticed in, in my healing journey that there really wasn't a place for that in the recovery realm that I found. Um, there wasn't a place where I could gather with other women in a healing circle. There wasn't, um, any, programs online that really created um, the space for me to get to know myself and a place that gave me tools to tune in to to who I was, to why I was drinking, to how to replace habits, to how to have better relationships. You know, there was none of that. And so... I created it. Um, So that's part of what I do now in an effort to give back to all of the people, Jean included, who made this path easier to step on for me by sharing their stories with the world, by having programs or podcasts or books um, that just empower women to know that they're not alone and to heal in a way that works for them. And so the first thing that I created was a sober sister circle. So what that is, is basically a healing circle where we gather and we share and we learn and we connect and we bring, we all bring different experiences to the circle and we just witness each other's pain and growth and it's just really beautiful. 
Um, and then there's kind of a learning piece in there too, which we do something different every time. Um, so we might do yoga or body painting or, um, some activities around releasing guilt, you know, whatever, um, the attendees are really calling for is what we do. And it has been so amazing. Um, they've all sold out, which is like ridiculous. Um, and in case anyone's wondering what they say is definitely true, like start before you're ready. I was not ready to be holding that space for women when I started, but I am so happy that I did because I've made so many amazing connections and so many bonds and so many friends that just, we have more in common than this, you know, problem that we had or this disease we're suffering. And I'm using my air quotes there because actually in our healing circles, that's not something that we focus on. Um, we certainly share our stories, but we really focus on the good. What do we want to do now? Now that we're clear headed, how do we want to use our time on earth? And so I did that and now I'm in the process of creating an online space for that exact experience, but just in a more in-depth way where women can learn all these tools that I've harvested over the past year to help them get to know, know themselves better, to be a part of a community and to really step into their lives fully and maybe for the first time. And so that's what I'm up to. And I am so thankful for the opportunity to be back, to give updates. If anyone is at the beginning of their journey and listening to this, um, just know that we've all, you know, we've all been exactly where you are right now. And if we can do it, so can you find something that resonates with you and go for it. You'll never be sorry that you did. And if you're looking for me or if anything that I said resonated with you, um, I'm sure Jean can leave it in the show notes, but I'll say it here. I am at mysoulfulsobriety.com and on Instagram at soberwitch and my blog is soberwitch.com. And I would love to hear from anyone and support anyone in any way that I can. So thank you again, Jean, for allowing me to come back on and give this update. Love to all. Bye. So my thanks to Sarah and Renee for taking the time to record an update and to send that in. And I also want to let you know, listeners, if you've been a guest on the show before and you would like to send an update on how things are going for you now, good or bad, it doesn't always have to be perfect endings. If you're going through something hard, we can hear about that too. It's important. Anyway, it's as easy as picking up your smartphone, finding what's called a voice memo. You can just record yourself and send me an MP3 file of your story. And I would love to do more of this because I love hearing updates from where people are at. And I also love hearing audio feedback from listeners who have questions or stories they want to share that don't quite feel ready to be going through the scary process of being interviewed on this show. If you just want to say a quick hello or share a little message, it's a great way to do it. And again, you can just record that on your phone 
and then email the mp3 to me at thebubblehour at gmail.com. That's all for this little in-betweeny-sode. I am glad you're here with, with me listening, and I will see you next time. Take good care. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From the power Weakness had on me In a dark corner Is where shame likes to hide We think you're strong Cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays and wait there To rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on You can shine When you see the point I did that Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free Just want to be free.